This morning's reading is taken from two passages. The first one is Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 19, and the second one is from Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. Colossians 3, 18 to 19. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. But they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I guess you're all really keen to hear what I have to say on this passage. Some of you may like what I say from the Bible on this passage. Some of you may not like what I have to say from the Bible on this passage. Uh, but what you need to do is seek the Lord and seek the, what the Word of God is saying in this passage and how we apply what are somewhat seen as difficult or confronting texts in the 21st century. Uh, let me pray that God would speak to us and encourage us. Lord God, we thank you for your love and your mercy. Uh, we thank you that uh, you speak through your Word, uh, your Word inspired by the Holy Spirit, for our instruction and our good. And uh, Lord, help us to build strong, enduring marriages that image Christ and his church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we're in the series Captivated by Christ, and um, we need to remember that being captivated by Christ impacts everything, including our personal relationships, our marriages, our families, and our workplaces. And in your home groups this week, you'll be looking at those three areas, uh, husbands and wives, uh, parents and children, um, but also uh, it was slaves and masters in your Bible. We, you may think your boss is like a, a master, <laughs> you feel like a slave, uh, but you'll apply sort of work situations. But today, simply focusing on the marriage relationship. And uh, last week we saw that uh, we have died with Christ, we've been raised with Christ. You see, we died uh, as Jesus died, we identify with him. We are now new people, we have been forgiven, we are children of God, and we are to set our hearts and minds on things above. 
So we live in light of eternity was the theme last week. And if we live in light of eternity, it impacts uh, how we live. We put off ungodliness and we put on Christ-like characteristics. And um, let me remind you from Colossians 3, 12 to 14, that we saw that all Christians have been characterized by things like compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And they had to bear with each other or be long-suffering with each other, forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us, and to love one another. And uh, if that is meant to be what Christians live like, the characteristics of Christians, how much more then should we exhibit those characteristics in a marriage relationship? Uh, let me say up front, as we talk about submission and Christ-like headship in marriage, that domestic violence, control and manipulation, disrespect, bullying, has no place in Christian marriages. Just hear that. Sometimes people misuse these texts to abuse others. Sam Storms, uh, is a commentator, wrote, writes in The Hope of Glory. There is a sense in which I address the issue of submission with a measure of reluctance and hesitation, he says. It isn't because I'm in doubt about what the Scripture says on the subject or because I'm uncertain of my own beliefs. It has to do with a widespread misunderstanding about the nature of headship and submission. Many think that headship and submission mean that a wife must sit passively and endure the sin and abuse of her husband, as if submission means she has no right to stand up for what is true or good or resist her husband's evil ways. Perhaps some of you come from families in which the husband was an insensitive bully and where it was assumed that it was the wife's duty to tolerate this silently. God's word does not call upon a wife to acquiesce to brutality or thievery or abuse. Colossians 3, 18 and 19, we're in the series in Colossians, two verses. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's all he says in Colossians. He says other things in other places, and that's why I will take you to Ephesians 5, which is a longer explanation of uh, Christian marriage. And the first thing we need to note uh, in this passage is that marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. So before you make decisions about, well, this is how I should be in a marriage, you need to throw that out of, out of your mind and think, no, no, what's marriage about? It is a picture of Christ and his church. Ephesians 5.31 is a quotation of Genesis 2.24. It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. It's beautiful. You leave, you cleave, you become united. It's beautiful unity. And Christ's desire is that we would so live in that unity in love and faithfulness till death do us part. And then he says the strange thing, though, having talked about marriage, you would have heard it. He says, husbands do this, wives do this. Then he says, this is a profound mystery. It's like he stops in the middle of his description. But I am talking about Christ and the church. Well, where did that come from? Why does he call it a great mystery? Why does he then move to Christ and the church? John Piper puts it this way. The mystery is this. God did not create the union of Christ and the church after the pattern of human marriage, just the reverse. He created human marriage on the pattern of Christ's relation to the church. See, marriage is a parable or a symbol of Christ's relation to the church. It says, when God engaged to create man and woman and to ordain the union of marriage, he didn't roll a dice or draw straws or flip a coin 
That's how they might be related to each other. He patterned marriage very purposefully after the relationship between his son and the church, which he planned for all eternity. So when I think of my marriage, I have to think Christ and his church. Christ and his church. I'm meant to imitate Jesus. I'm meant to lay down my life. I'm meant to sacrifice. I'm meant to do everything I can to bring my, my wife to the ultimate success and fulfillment in life and happiness in life. I have to invest that way. And obviously, wives then have to think about, I have the role of that church in that parable. How does that play out? Secondly, let me say that submissiveness is a universal Christian obligation. We don't like the word submit. But the Bible says uh, in verse 21 there, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in the book of Ephesians, it's helpful to have your, your Bibles open, by the way, and to see the flow of the argument, because we're talking about having been filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 18. We then, um, the word is submitting, we then sing, we speak to one another, we sing, we make music, we give thanks, verse 20, and we submit to one another. It's all part of that uh, same expression there. But also, as well as linking submitting to what we do, we sing, we pray, we submit, realize that's just what Christians do, right? We submit. Because our society is you don't submit to anyone or anything. In fact, we'll find out later, we're, we're called to submit to God. We're called to submit to the authorities. Uh, we're called to submit to, you're called to submit to your Christian leaders, sorry to tell you. <laughs> All right? The Bible in Hebrews. And uh, so we, we're, we are submitting people, right? We don't hold out to our rights, we submit in a variety of ways in society. But um, having stated the man for mutual submissiveness, giving oneself up for the other person, it then proceeds on to submission asked for from wives, children and slaves. So there's no verb at all, as I said, in verse 22, because the call for submission in verse 21, it carries over. So in verse 21 is in fact a transition verse, forming a bridge between the two sections, Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, wives to husbands. Wives to your husbands. That's how it reads in the Greek. And the three paragraphs that follow are clearly given as examples of Christian submission. And the emphasis throughout is on that submission. Wives to husbands, children to parents, and slaves to masters. But I want you to notice something. That was quite normal in the first century in the household codes. What Paul does, though, is change and add something to what is the normal in the household codes. In the... First century household codes, it's the people um, who are, in a sense, under the authority of someone else who have to submit. But he changes all of that. He adds to it. Because in each pair of relationships, the person who has the position of authority or leadership is also now called to exercise that authority or leadership in a loving and unselfish way. For the authority is delegated from God. It's not an abusive leadership position. It's a loving generous leadership position. And in so doing, I think, Christian, in the Christian church, submissiveness is to be mutual to a certain degree. They submit, husband and wife submit to each other differently, depending on their role, but they do submit to one another. Husbands to wives, as well as wives to husbands. In humility, we serve the other person as Christ has served us. So husbands, you are to love your wives and care for them. Parents are not to provoke their children, but bring them up sensitively. And masters are not to threaten their slaves, but treat them with justice. 
there is a sense in which submission and love are two aspects of the same thing. What do I mean by that? Well, what does it mean to submit to someone? It's to give oneself up for somebody, to be amenable, to give way to another, to honour the other person above yourself, to respect that other person. We do it, as I said, we submit to God, we submit to government authorities, we submit to our, to our leaders, amongst other things. But what does it mean to love? To love is also to give oneself up for somebody as Christ gave himself up. It's serving, it is putting others first, it is respecting others, it is dying for others. Now, in one sense, submission and love are two aspects of the very same thing, the selfless self-giving, which is the foundation of enduring and growing marriage. Sure, there are different roles, and I think the Bible makes that clear, parents, children, husbands and wives, because I, I think the Bible teaches what we call the fact that we are complementary uh, to each other, and God has given us slightly different roles, equal roles, but different roles, and we're called to serve one another. You be, uh, if you're aware of this language, um, we talk about the difference between the egalitarian and complementarian. Just throw that in there for a moment. Egalitarians, in an egalitarian marriage, people would say, and Christians would say, no, we're just equal, there's no leadership, there's no role, we're just the same, we come together. A complementarian understanding of the Scriptures, uh, which is, by the way, has been the traditional understanding of these passages, is that we are equal, but God has given us in the marriage, uh, husband's a special responsibility of care and leadership, as Christ is, has over the church, and likewise, in the leadership of the church, God has given men uh, the role of pastor, teacher, leader, that elder role within the church. That's what's called complementarian. And so, but what I've noticed is I, I, I talk to people who are in egal what they might call egalitarian marriages, and those who are in complementarian marriages, if they follow God's instructions, they don't look much different, do they? They're loving, they're serving. They're making decisions together, they're seeking to honour Christ. It's only when someone abuses the text that you have the difficulties. Now let's get to the wife. The wife is to take her special cues from the church. So if I'm a wife, I need to listen to what God is saying from the Word about how I should respond. And wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, that's an instruction to wives. I'm not a wife, but if you're the wife, you're listening. God says that to you, which means that you are to voluntarily, not under coercion, not under threat, to voluntarily submit to the headship or the loving sacrificial leadership of your husband. Husbands are not to force submissions. Husbands' role, by the way, are simply to do what God has called you to do, lay down your life for your wife. Sometimes people say, oh, my wife never does anything I say to her. I say, well, it's tough luck. <laughs> Pray, love her, sacrifice for her, die for her. That's what you do. That's your responsibility as a Christian husband, not to force someone, a wife, to do something that she doesn't want to do. John Stott says, although in other passages Paul grounds the fact of the husband's headship in the order of creation, you see that in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Timothy 2, here he defines it in relation to the headship of Christ, the Redeemer. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Notice what we're talking about here. We're talking about Christ who is a saviour, who comes to bring life. He says Christ's headship expresses care rather than control, responsibility rather than rule. He talks about Christ being the saviour. So the head of the body is the saviour of the body. The characteristic of his headship is not so much lordship as saviourhood. And if the husband's headship of the wife resembles Christ of his church, then the wife's submission will resemble the church's. As the church is subject to Christ, so the wives must be subject in everything to their husbands. Marcus Barth, another writer, says, the submission of and respect for the husband to which the wife is specifically admonished is by no means the submissiveness of a pussycat or a crouching dog. Paul is thinking of a voluntary free, joyful, and thankful partnership as the analogy of the relationship of the church to Christ shows. Rick Warren uh, tells a story of uh, a woman called Liz Curtis Higgs. She was a renowned author uh, in the United States, a well-known disc jockey in America, lived quite a wild life and uh, a lifestyle without God, which included both drug and alcohol abuse. One day, one of her co-workers said to Liz, you know, Liz, you need to clean up your acts. He wasn't talking about the show, but her lifestyle. He said, you're a mess, you're, you're going to kill yourself if you keep living like this. She'd been hurt by so many men, her heart had broken, and she'd become a militant feminist. But she had a Christian girlfriend who worked at the station and invited her to church. And she finally said, listen, I'll come with you once to church, just once, and only once. She turns up to church, and wouldn't you believe it? In God's sense of humor, maybe you're going to feel you're feeling like this today. The Bible verse the pastor was preaching on the day she went to church, this wild, crazy, militant feminist. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Walks into church. Not exactly the best verse to start with, with a militant feminist. So I got a little uptight, a little angry. But I continued to listen, and then I heard these verses. And they said, and husbands, you sacrifice yourself. You give yourself for your wife, just as Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for the church and died for her. Hear that second part. When she heard that part, she leaned over to a friend and said with a little cynicism, well, shoot, I'd gladly give myself to any man if I knew he would die for me. Her friend leaned over and said, Liz, there is a man who loved you enough to die for you. His name is Jesus Christ. That's how much he loves you. On her eighth visit to the church, this woman gave her life to Christ. Found that there's one who loves us and dies for us. And, uh, and let me say, it calls me as a man, as a husband, to so love my wife that it brings glory to Jesus. But let me say uh, what submission doesn't mean. And I say here that I feel stupid even having to say these things, but I have to say these things because the way in which these texts are misused. It does not mean a woman is inferior. Men and women are equal before God, created in his, in his image, complementary to each other. God has brought us together. We are all loved, all saved. We're all going to heaven. We are joint heirs of eternal life. Uh, women and, and wives are brilliant, gifted, world-changing, influential. This is nothing about, in the relationship of husbands and wives, it's nothing about your value. It's about a slightly different role within that marriage. It does not mean that women should not 
express an opinion or be involved in decision-making. That's just stupid. I've had pastors say, I've heard someone say, well, you know, we'll make a decision on which bus to catch to a certain area. My wife said, we need to catch the 423. This guy said, I need to catch the 426, or I'm making up the numbers. And he used that as an illustration and said, um, and my wife submitted to me and we caught the bus I suggested. We ended up in the wrong place. That's what submission means, just to follow me into my stupidity, I thought. No, no, that's not what we're talking about here. You are two people in a marriage who come together with a variety of gifts and talents and so on. You're a couple, you're a team. Linda and I decide together all those important things in life. I honour her, I respect her. She's smarter and wiser than me in most things. I submit to her in those decisions that we make. It does not mean that women should not work outside the house. We don't live in the 1950s. Amen? Right? Husbands and wives can determine who's going to work. I had one of my friends, uh, his wife uh, was earning more money than him. He was a bit radical, and uh, so uh, she went to work. He said, I'm just looking after my baby. He loved it. He said, looking after my baby at home, I was feeding her and putting her to bed and taking her for walks down the local park, and I'm going to try that with my granddaughter soon. Um, but they, they swap, so it's up to couples, right? There's no law in the Bible, husbands must do this, wives must do this, right? It's up to you guys to decide what works for your family. And these days, anyone's got a mortgage, everyone's working, right? It does not mean that women, sh- women should put up with physical violence. It's a crime. You can call the police. You can ring us. We've gone with people being abused, to the police, with them as their support. And if you're in a marriage like that, please speak out. It does not mean that women should be treated as slaves or servants. It does not mean that women should be manipulated. Well, I'm the man, God said, I'm in charge. No, he didn't. He said, you're called to lay down your life to bring the best in your wife's life. It does not mean that women should follow their husbands into sin. You honour God above your husband. You live as is fitting in the Lord, right? And if your husband wants you to go in a direction which is contrary to God's word, you honour God and you, you disobey. You don't go. Because it's as is fitting in the Lord. It does mean, on the positive, that wives should love, honour, respect their husbands. I think it's probably what you say, you said at your marriage vows. Right? The husband, though, is to take his special cues from Christ. Husband must love his wife as Christ loved his church. This is surely, I suggest to you, a difficult task. In fact, it's impossible. If you think submission is hard, this is impossible. I'm saying to you today, what the man is called, the husband is called to do is far more difficult and far more challenging than what wives are called to do. Or, okay, let's say they're equally difficult. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And describes the beautiful work of Christ to make her holy. This is the church uh, by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It says, look at how Christ works to bring a beautiful church and we are part of that church. Look at all what Christ did. Husbands, 
You ought to love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Did you hear anything about abuse in there? Did you hear anything about manipulation? Did you hear anything about control? No, no, husbands. Love your wives as your own bodies. You care for yourself, don't you? I brushed my hair this morning. I washed it. Put deodorant on. Got some nice clothes. I wanted it to look good. I care for myself. Care for your wives in the same way. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. I had a lovely coffee this morning. Just as Christ does the church, we are members of his body. However, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself. The wife must respect her husband. Friends, Christian husbands are sacrificial servants of Christ and of their spouses. That's what we're called to do. And John Piper writes, the husband who plops himself in front of the television. I can picture an American, American church here, right? A uh, husband who plops himself in front of the TV and orders his wife around like a slave has abandoned the way of Christ. Jesus bound himself with a towel and washed his disciples' feet. Woe to the husband who thinks his maleness requires of him a domineering attitude toward his wife. If you want to be a Christian husband, you become a servant, not a boss. Now, I say to husbands, Christ did not crush the church. He sacrificed himself to serve her that she might become everything he longed her to be herself in the fullness of her glory. We never crush, we never stifle, we seek to bring out the best in our spouses. Friends, there are many Christian wives, sadly, who've been manipulated, abused, controlled by husbands. If that is you, please get help. That's not what God says. It's a misuse of this text to get to that point. Let me conclude with a story. It's titled uh, Confessions of a Reluctant Complementarian. Rebecca McLaughlin, and you have a photograph there, is the author of uh, Confronting Christianity. She's probably one of the most uh, dynamic and powerful and used by God apologists, Christian apologists defending the Christian faith today. English, uh, married to, to an American with three young children, writes and speaks around the world. And this is what she said when she came to the text like this. She says, I was an undergraduate at Cambridge when I first encountered Ephesians 5.22. I'd come from an academically driven, equality-orientated, single-sex high school. I was now studying in a majority male college, and I was repulsed. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You've got to be kidding me, she said. I had three major problems with this verse. The first problem was that wives should submit. I knew women were just as competent as men, often more so. If there was wisdom in asymmetrical decision-making in marriage, surely it should depend on who was more competent in that area, sometimes the husband, sometimes the wife. Problem two, she says. Second was the idea that wives should submit to their husbands as to the Lord. It's one thing submitting to Jesus Christ, the self-sacrificing king of the universe, it's quite another to offer that kind of submission to a fallible, sinful man. Third problem, she says, or well, perhaps this grieved me most, was how harmful this verse was to my witness. That's why I don't use any of these passages in wedding services that I do filled with non-Christians, because they don't get it yet. So I was offering my friends a radical narrative of the power of inversion, which the Creator God laid down His life, in which the poor outclass the rich, in which outcasts become family. 
The gospel was a consuming fire of love across difference to burn up racial injustice and socioeconomic exploitation. Yet here was this horrifying verse, he says, promoting the subjugation of women. Jesus had elevated women to an equal status with men. Paul seemed to be pushing them back down. This verse ruined my witness. I didn't know I had a witness for Jesus in this modern age with this verse. Her resolution. I tried really hard to explain 5.22 away. I tried arguing that in the Greek, the word translate submit only appears in the previous verse, as I indicated earlier in the service. So the passage must be applying submission as much to husbands as to wives, but it didn't stick. The roles for husbands and wives described in the following verses seem to imply to be different. And the command to submit was, wasn't just in Ephesians 5, it was in Colossians 3 and 1 Peter 3. It seemed like I was cornered. What could I do? Then I turned my attention to the command to husbands. I think the answer is always there. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, Ephesians 5.25. How did Christ love the church? By dying on the cross, by giving himself naked and bleeding to suffer for her, by putting her needs above his own, by giving everything for her. And then she did this. I asked myself, how would I feel if this was the command to wives? Wives, love your husbands to the point of death, putting his needs above yours and sacrificing yourself for him. Wives, submit to your husbands is often critiqued as a mandate for spousal abuse. Tragically, it has sometimes been used that way. But the command to husbands make this, makes this reading impossible. How much more easily could an abuser twist a verse calling his wife to suffer for him, to give herself up for him, to die for him? Yet that is the command to Christian husbands, not just in Ephesians 5, but in Colossians 3.19. If the gospel is true, none of us come to the table with rights. The only way is... Uh, is in it is flat on our face. If I want to hold on to my fond- fundamental right to self-determination, I must reject the message of Jesus because he calls me to submit completely to him, to deny myself, take up my cross and follow him. Then, she says, the penny really drops. Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. She says, this model is not about an individual wife and husband. It's about Jesus and the church. God created sex and marriage to give us a glimpse of his intimacy with us. Our roles in this great marriage are not interchangeable. Jesus gives himself for us. We submit to him. Ephesians 5.22 used to to repulse me. Now it convicts me and calls me toward Jesus, the true husband who satisfies our needs, the one man who deserves our submission. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for Christian marriage. We thank you that you created us men and women to enter into an exclusive and permanent relationship where we become one flesh, where we together love one another and care for one another and together seek to bring glory and honor to you. Thank you, Lord, uh, for every marriage in this place. I pray for it, that it would be built on your word and your truth that all of us would exhibit the character of Christ in how we treat one another, respectful, honouring, laying down our lives for each other, whether through love or submission. Lord, that we would showcase the beauty of Christ's relationship with his church through our marriages. 
May people see our marriages and see that Christ loves his church and gives his life for it. We pray in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.